This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com, and you are listening to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. No Matthew Collar tonight. We had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. I had some extra articles to write for CBSSports.com. Matt was doing some of uh, his own writing, so we'll link back up next week for regular scheduled programming, uh, another podcast dropping right after the Super Bowl on Tuesday morning. For this podcast, because we have the Super Bowl just in a few days, I want to talk about some of the young players in this game that being at CBSSports.com, I'm a draft analyst first, but this past season, the one we're currently in, I started to take on a role of young NFL player analyst as well. We figured talking to my editors and some higher ups that I have scouted the 2018, 2019 and 2020 draft classes comprehensively for CBS sports. So it would make sense for me to write some articles on how these players are developing. If they're not developing, talk about my hits and misses. Uh, and there are a lot of players, especially on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that are young within their first three years in the NFL that aligns with that first draft class that I scouted in 2018 that are integral players. And I think the job that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers scouting staff has done over the past few seasons has been vital beyond just bringing in Tom Brady. What they've done in the draft has been very vital to this team, making it this far going from the number five seed as that wild card, making it all the way to Super Bowl 55. I want to start with the Buccaneers and in their secondary, Carlton Davis. Uh, he was my number 12 cornerback and number 98 overall player in the 2018 draft class. He's emerged as one of the best young cornerbacks in the league. Was he and, and has he become only the 12th best corner in that class? No. So that was a little bit of a miss. I had some players ranked higher than him that ultimately have not been as good as Carlton Davis, but I still had him inside my top 100. He was picked earlier than that. Maybe that was another miss too, but my comparison for him was Xavier Howard. And I think that's spot on that Xavier Howard coming out of Baylor a few years before that was such a roller coaster ride watching his film that at times he looked like a top 20 selection with how much ball production he had and how clearly athletic he was at well over six foot and around 200 pounds. Then at other times he looked over aggressive, overly grabby, looked like maybe a day three or someone that might not even get drafted. He ultimately went earlier than that, obviously. Um, and that was kind of the book on Carlton Davis too, that he was so physical at the line of scrimmage and used his length fantastically in the SEC. And you like that he wasn't very stiff in his hips, in his ankles, um, was pretty twitchy at six foot one and 205 pounds. I think he's done a really good job dialing back some of the aggressiveness. I mean, Tyreek Hill did torch him um, for a few touchdowns in that first half of the Tampa Bay 
Kansas City matchup in the regular season. But I love the fact that Carlton Davis has come out during Super Bowl week and shown a lot of confidence that he's ready to take on Tyreek Hill or if he has to match up with Travis Kelsey or Sammy Watkins or Nicole Hardman or all the speed and diverse talent that Kansas City has in that offense. I, I really think he has become a better player than what I saw at Auburn. I did like him, maybe not to the degree that I should have, but this is not just someone that's going to beat you up at the line um, and is going to be completely overwhelmed when there's a twitchy wide receiver in front of him. I think he uses his hands and his feet together very well at the line. He's rarely out of position. And like at Auburn, he has very good ball production. He's had it in Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers. Um, moving on to another secondary member, a recent addition to the Buccaneers defensive backfield, Antoine Winfield Jr. I mean, what can we say about him? He plays just like his dad. Um, who is fantastic for the Bills and the Vikings for so long in the NFL. A little bit undersized, not the tallest safety. That was my one knock on him, uh, but he tested well at the combine, was so productive as that deep middle safety and in run support at Minnesota. He was my number five overall safety uh, and a top 40 prospect for me, number 34 overall. Just checking my notes down here. Um, the safeties I had in front of him, Grant Delpit from LSU, who's on the Browns. We didn't see him this season. He got injured before the year. Uh, Kyle Duggar, who was pretty up and down, but flashed a little bit in New England with the Patriots. Jeremy Chen, who had a stat sheet filling season in Carolina with the Panthers. One of the most athletic pound for pound players in the NFL today, most explosive. And then I had Isaiah Simmons, um, in my top 10, I had him as a safety. Some people saw him as a linebacker. I think the Cardinals are still trying to figure out where they really should play him and how he should be deployed. That's vital when you have someone as big and as athletic as Isaiah Simmons. He did come on down the stretch a little bit, um, but I really liked the safety class with five safeties inside my top 34. I loved the deep middle range, again, from Antoine Winfield. I compared him before the draft to Jimmy Ward, who's kind of an underrated guy there in San Francisco, can play in the slot, can range from the deep middle, uh, can really do a lot of things and wear a different or a, a lot of different hats in that 49ers uh, secondary. They gave him a contract extension recently. Um, Antoine Winfield, I think, has looked the part of just a veteran safety, someone that had a dad in the NFL that was probably coaching him on the intricacies of playing defensive back since he was a kid. Um, that has been a home run draft pick for Jason Light there in Tampa Bay. I think getting him back for the Super Bowl will be huge because if you can keep the Chiefs in front of you, you can lengthen the game a little bit. The last thing the Buccaneers want to do is let Tyreek Hill or Sammy Watkins or me, Cole Hardman, get over the top. I think that's when they can really open up the game and, and it can get into a shootout. With Antoine Winfield, with his instincts, um, his ability to read route concepts in front of him and know that if he sees a deep over route, maybe there's going to be a post behind him. He did that so well at Minnesota, flipped his hits quickly, ran sub 4-5 at the combine. Uh, he really is, even though he's a little smaller, I think uh, really a, a prototype for what you want in the modern-day NFL at the safety position. He's more of a, a, a deep middle safety. He can play in the box a little bit. He's not that strong safety linebacker hybrid, although I love how authoritative and sudden he is in run support. So Antoine Winfield, another fantastic pick 
um, over the past few years for that Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Two other players I want to talk about. I'll stay in the same draft class as Antoine Winfield. Tristan Wirfs. I have no idea why he was picked so late inside the top 15. Um, four offense, three offensive tackles picked in front of him. Andrew Thomas to the Giants. Um, Makai Becton to the New York Jets. And Jedrick Wills to the Cleveland Browns. It was the perfect scenario if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They needed a right tackle. Um, DeMar Dotson had played so well there for so long, but he was getting up there in age. Um, Tristan Wirfs played right tackle predominantly at Iowa. You won't have to worry about moving him from left tackle to right tackle or any of those positional changes that I think are a lot harder than it's, it's, uh, that what we think even in the media or fans like, Hey, just play left tackle, play right tackle. Tristan Wirfs played mostly right tackle at Iowa. I absolutely loved him as a prospect. He was my number one tackle. He was a top five prospect for me, number five overall in this past draft class. He checked all the boxes uh, from long before he was ready to enter the NFL draft. Tristan Wirfs was very well documented in that he was breaking uh, strength and conditioning program records at Iowa. Just he was a brute strength type of player and it showed on film. He wasn't just someone that looked really strong, but didn't play to that strength. I thought he was fantastic anchoring in pass protection. Uh, certainly in the run game, he was a people mover. And then you saw at the combine, he had a legendary performance in terms of how well-rounded his performance was um, at the offensive tackle spot. He ran a fast 40. His vertical was great. His three cone. He was the most athletic offensive tackle at the combine. So when you have the production the film, uh, the NFL strength. And I, I talk about that a lot in this podcast that a lot of rookie offensive linemen, even if they are, you know, seemingly bulldozers at the collegiate level, it usually takes them a season to be, to get to that NFL caliber of strength because worse was coming in as this decorated guy in the weight room. And he was six, four and three twenty, had really good size at the combine. He was ready to deal with the power that he was going to see on a weekly basis. He faced Cameron Jordan. He faced Joey Bosa really early on. He did have some difficulties against Khalil Mack early in the season or like midway through the season in that game that the Buccaneers actually lost um, in primetime in Chicago. But in general, he has been really an all pro caliber player right from the get go. And I saw that from him. I thought he was going to be a fantastic offensive lineman. I figured a team was going to pick him and try to move him over to left tackle. He played there at times at Iowa last season when his teammate, Alaric Jackson, was actually a pretty good prospect himself. And this year's draft class was injured, but he's a right tackle all the way. His footwork, his handwork, his recovery skills, um, and just the athleticism that he plays with both as a run blocker and when he's kick sliding in pass protection, absolute perfect fit. I believe I gave that. I, I didn't do draft grades uh, for CBS Sports until round two. They usually let Pete Prisco do that in round one. But I did like a little Twitter thread um, in real time in round one. I believe I gave that an A+. Like that was one of the few picks in round one where I was like, this could not be a better fit. And it's been a godsend for Tom Brady, uh, for Bruce Arians, and how much he wants to push the football down the field in those long developing routes um, to have someone – at the right tackle position opposite Donovan Smith 
um, who's actually a little bit better than Donovan Smith and is such a young player. That was the other thing, too. Before I wrap on on Werfs, he wasn't dominating as a 23-year-old redshirt senior. He was doing this as a sophomore, which led to a lot of buzz going into his junior season. He was the number one player on Bruce Feldman's freak list before the season, uh, his last at Iowa, which is kind of a list that compiles the top 40 most athletic players. Bruce Feldman of the Athletic is very well sourced at the college football ranks. He had Tristan Wirfs at number one overall, and I believe he was on the list the year before that as just one of the most pound-for-pound athletic specimens. So to do all those things and be so productive and have squeaky clean film uh, and be super powerful as like a junior, as like a 20-year-old, 19, 20, 21, that's really the full encapsulation of why Tristan Wirfs was so highly regarded by me. I, I, I loved him. My grading system had him at number five overall and number one tackle in the 2020 class and he's played to that all pro level i think this is going to be like hot take alert um but i think he has a future in the hall of fame i I think he really is just going to be that quality right tackle whether tom brady's there for one more season or multiple seasons in tampa i think he really has the tools um, and the refinement as a pass protector to eventually be a hall of fame type of player one other player i want to talk about on the other side of the line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Vita Vea, uh, before the injury in October, he was playing like arguably after Aaron Donald, he's in his own stratosphere, the best defensive tackle in the NFL from run stopping. You know, you're going to get that with him with how wide and how mammoth of a player he is and how strong, but he was getting after the quarterback. at such a high rate for a nose tackle gets injured. Season's over, right? Comes back against the green Bay Packers in the NFC title game and made a big difference. Didn't play a crazy amount of snaps, but if he's pretty close to 100%, uh, that is gigantic against a Chiefs defensive line or a Chiefs offensive line that has a lot of moving parts. A new starter at left tackle, a new starter at right tackle. They're moving guys from right tackle to left tackle and right guard out to right tackle. Vita Vea in the middle of that defensive line is huge. Him as a prospect, he was my number 17 overall player in the 2018 draft class coming out of Washington. He was behind Maurice Hurst, who's been pretty good for the, uh, I almost said Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, hasn't really lived up to the hype of that disrupt, super disruptive interior pass rusher, but he's been a solid pro. And Taven Bryan, who was two spots ahead of him. There were some like J.J. Watt comparisons because he was this like 6'5", 285, 290 type of player. He's more of an end, like a 3-4 end than a defensive tackle, but I kind of group it edge rusher and defensive lineman are kind of two different positions. I don't get more specific than that with my evaluations. Um, my comparison for Vita Vea was Haloti Nada. And for the longest time with the Baltimore Ravens and a little bit at the end of his career with the Detroit Lions, Haloti Nada was the best nose tackle in the league because even during a time when nose tackles were a little more trendy and you saw them on the field more when teams were running the football at a higher rate, higher frequency, um, nose tackles still had to get after the passer a little bit if they wanted to be on the field. Um, and Haloti Nada could do that was a brute strength type of player. He went to Oregon um, there in the Pac-12, Vita Vea from Washington. I loved Vita Vea's pass rushing move arsenal at Washington that you see that he's the 6'4", 350, you know he's going to two-gap well. You know he's going to eat a lot of blockers, and he's going to be 
gigantic against the run, a huge tackling radius. He's shown that, but his quickness and the four or five moves that he uses to beat blockers that are not as big as him and usually not as strong as him were why I was so high on him. Even in 2018, when the nose tackle spot had kind of been, hey, you pick that guy fourth or fifth round and let him play on first down and then get him off the field. So Haloti Nada uh, was my comparison. Vita Vea to get him back is huge for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm not going to talk about like every single young player on the Buccaneers roster, but some other ones, Jamel Dean from Auburn, similar player um, to Carlton Davis was a great find, very physical, outstanding ball production. Like if the ball's arriving, he knows that it's coming and he will get his hands on it very long. Sean Murphy bunting the nickelback from central Michigan. I remember watching him a few drafts ago, uh, very late in the process. And you just saw this super explosive twitchy player played mostly on the outside at central Michigan, but is mostly inside um, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He can play outside if you need him to. He's a really good player as well. I think they have done a fantastic job um, building this team. And then they just inserted arguably the best quarterback of all time. And I think that's why they are in the Super Bowl. Jumping over uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs, I want to start with me, Cole Hardman. This is a miss for me, I think. He was my number 185 overall player. And no, he's not. There aren't 184 players from the 2019 draft class that are better than him. He was my number 28 wide receiver. And there's certainly not 27 wide receivers that are better than him. So I, I was too low on, on me, Cole Hardman, but I do think he landed in the perfect spot in Kansas city. And remember when they drafted him, there was some thought that there was going to be off field issues um, with Tyreek Hill, that he was going to miss a lot of time. Ultimately, that wasn't the case. Uh, but I think the Chiefs said, hey, we want that speed element, someone that can not only just stretch the field vertically like Tyreek Hill, um, but they can use in the jet sweep game. They can kind of have it be that gadget player. Michael Hardman ran 4-3-3 at the combine. So he certainly is super fast. He's had two seasons of like just over 500 yards receiving. There's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, in that offense from Patrick Mahomes, certainly and the fact that you're have mostly had a, a healthy and available Tyree kill. I mean, he's certainly going to be the number one Travis Kelsey just broke the tight end receiving yard record this season. You still have Sammy Watkins, who's not a bad player in his own right. Um, so that's probably why we haven't seen some of the production. There have been some, some drops. And I think you saw that at Georgia. I remember writing right after the chiefs picked me Cole Hardman, when there was still some concern about, you know, the availability of Tyree kill going into last season um, that my editor said, Hey, like watch the film again and tell us like, if you think that me Cole Hardman, just in this great environment, if he can be like Tyree kill 2.0. And I came away with a few observations and just thoughts from like rewatching the film, like going back, I had just scouted him. Wasn't crazy high on him. Cause I thought he really was a one trick pony. That's, kind of what he been. I probably sh what he's been. I should have maybe been a little bit higher on Nicole Hardman. Um, but I went back and watched and I first came away with the fact that Tyreek Hill really is a special player. Like the term unicorn has been thrown out over the past couple weeks to make a player in Nicole Hardman that ran a four, three, three at the combine look kind of slow, like watching their film back to back like getting on game pass and watching some of the 2018 film from Tyreek Hill, 
And then going back and watching Georgia, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, it was like, man, Tyreek Hill has to be someone that is a four, two guy. And beyond that, Michael Hardman isn't as twitchy. His change of direction skill uh, isn't as impressive as Tyreek Hill. It's probably not surprising. And I think because of how lightning quick Tyreek Hill is, um, he's better at beating press at the line. Like his releases are better. Georgia really tried to scheme up Hardman a lot um, and took those deep shots when he had off coverage. And he saw that a lot more than he has in the NFL, because even in the SEC, when there are talented corners that, you know, many of which are going to play in the NFL, like there's a lot of cover two and cover four where it's like, hey, we don't want Hardman to beat us over the top or or any speedster. Hardman did that at Georgia. Um, he was able to run by people with that four three three speed, um, but it was pretty insane watching those two players back to back. Tyreek Hill really making someone that ran in the low four threes uh, look relatively slow and not I'm not going to call him stiff. I don't think that would be fair to call uh, Michael Hardman slow or stiff, but really he made you think like, wow, Hill is truly the twitchiest and fastest player in the NFL. And I think that's why he's been so difficult to stop down the field. And just when they throw him a quick swing pass that he can make defenders miss and then hit the afterburners to really hit that big play. Um, one other player I want to talk about before the conclusion of this podcast, Legereus Sneed, fourth round pick by the Kansas city chiefs in the 2020 draft class, Louisiana tech. He's another one um, like Sean Murphy bunting, a defensive back that I remember watching late in the process. And funny story with this at Louisiana tech. No, there's not a lot of draft prospects every year, but there was another member of that bulldog secondary, Amick Robertson, uh, who actually had a lot of draft buzz, like going into the combine throughout the entire pre-draft process, ultimately went to the Raiders, I believe in the fourth round, third or fourth round, um, got injured a lot this uh, season, didn't play a lot. But I remember watching Amick Robertson. He's this little slot corner that's super feisty, in your face, twitchy, nice plant and drive skills, um, great ball production, was not afraid to throw his helmet around there in run support. But you just kept seeing this like super fast, like gazelle at safety making plays. And that was Legereus Sneed. Uh, he was my 181 overall player, number 181 overall. Uh, he had 19 pass breakups and eight interceptions. And I think, and that was in his entire career at Louisiana Tech. And I think the uh, experience that he had in college really prepared him well for the NFL level because he started, if you look at his sports reference page, he started as a freshman as a utility player. It says UT next to his position. Then he moved to cornerback, mostly played on the outside. And then in his final season at Louisiana Tech, he was a safety. So he had all that production, all these different positions on the field. You could see the instincts. You saw the twitchiness. And you just saw how explosive of a player he was. And then at the combine, he ran four, three, seven and had a 41 inch vertical. So we've heard a lot about this week that pro football focus has graded him as the number one rookie cornerback. The really the rookies were not very good from Jeffrey Akuda to CJ Henderson, AJ Terrell, um, AJ Terrell didn't have a bad rookie season, but no one really stood out, especially those first rounders. Well, Jerry Sneed has his fourth rounder. That is a gem 
of a selection for Brett Veach, the GM there in Kansas City, to add to a secondary that really needed secondary help. Bashad Breland, who they brought in a few uh, years ago off the street, or, or you know he was released and they brought him in. He's this really physical press man corner. He's been a good addition, but beyond that, like going into the draft, it was a little surprising that the Chiefs didn't address cornerback earlier. I think maybe they were like, hey, we won the Super Bowl with our cornerback room how it is now. Like, why do we have to address it? But just looking at the roster on paper, it seemed to me and, and to a lot of draft analysts that like they need corner badly. So to hit, to not pick a corner until the fourth round and then hit on him. And Snead has played mostly in the slot. He started on the outside, didn't really fare as well as the Chiefs probably liked. I watched a couple of those games um, just last week, uh, early in the season when they mostly deployed him as an outside corner. He's been fantastic in the slot. He's right around six foot, 185 pounds. So he's a little bit lanky, super twitchy. I think the lack of weight allows him to stay with those slot receivers. And you're talking about a crazy explosive defensive back four, three, seven in the 40, 41 inch vertical. So like he can stay with anyone down the field. And in those jump ball situations, he's certainly going to have an advantage. So Hats off to both of these GMs, both of these scouting staffs. Um, again, I, I probably was a little bit too low on Carlton Davis, although I think my comparison of Xavier Howard was good. Um, and Nicole Hardman probably should have been a little bit higher. I don't know if he lands with a different team, if he has back-to-back seasons with over 500 yards and with 10 touchdowns and is you know hitting these long plays. I think landing with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and having – a lot of these stars around him has really allowed him to be a complimentary player. Um, but 185, yeah, 185 overall was probably too low. I think Tristan Wirfs, I thought he was going to be ridiculous, and he has been. Vita Vea, first-round caliber player, number 17 overall. Haloti Nato is my comparison there. Um, Antoine Winfield, loved him. Uh, maybe he played a little bit better as a rookie than maybe Kyle Duggar. We didn't see Grant Delpit. Isaiah Simmons had kind of a rocky first year there in Arizona. Um, and then Legereus Need. I mean, I had him in the 180s, number 181 overall, and he's been the best rookie cornerback. So I was not nearly as high on him. That's a player. I mean, I think some people were a little bit higher on Miko Hardman than I was. Um, but Snead was kind of viewed as this fourth, fifth, sixth round guy that has really exceeded expectations and has been a vital component. Watch all of these players. Don't just watch Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. A lot of these young players are going to have vital roles in determining the outcome of Super Bowl 55. All right, that's all I have for tonight. I'm Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.